0: Savior to save Jesus who made a way Supported by the Way in Brea, lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at the Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Waste production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. Matt, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um. Yeah, a couple couple things I want to share as we uh, before I really get into the message and just as we get started or continue to go forward as we worshiped already. And now we just come seeking him uh, for more, a double portion of what he has for us. Yes. You know, as we went through the announcements with, with Gary and we talked about some of the things that happened over the last week um, on Wednesday night, we were here for a Bible study and uh, and prayer time. And I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I just had an amazing time and just uh, in the word and in his presence. And then on Friday night, our youth were here um, and, and uh, it was powerful. Uh, one of our young people, Isaiah, uh, one of our young adults and young adult leaders, actually for the first time ministered to our youth. And uh, so I took a few pictures of him and I was just thinking about him coming up in our youth and all that God has done in his life and in his family and in his, his individual walk. And then to see that. Uh, reciprocated as he pours into the youth that he used to be a part of and it's just all these visions of what the church is supposed to be Um, then on Friday night uh, we prayed and we prayed in the spirit and we prayed hard and we prayed for people and we prayed for people who were suffering and we prayed for miracles and uh, that's kind of what I want to do right now I want to I want to draw attention but but uh, uh, hopefully in a way that's honoring to God and and uh, honoring to this family Um, But one of the families that we we prayed for um was joe and carmen and for junior and uh we prayed and and this morning when i when i say i want to draw attention to you uh i just want to say that uh it's powerful to see you guys here this morning um you know when you think about what the scriptures say and we think about trying to be christians and then to see it lived out before your eyes in a way that many of us can be honest and say i don't know if i could live it out that way um It's just life changing. Um, In the book of Job, chapter 2, obviously Job's going through it and their family is suffering. He's losing uh, loved ones and his children. And it says that his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Just curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as, as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. When I, when I look at you guys here this morning, um, uh, you're inspiring all of us, but you're definitely inspiring me. Um, I don't know what, what tomorrow holds for you guys. I don't know what next week holds for you guys. Um, but to consider that we would be worthy to be the church that, that you decide that uh, this is who I'm going to go through my tomorrow with and this is who I'm going to go through my next week with. Um, those actions speak louder than words. I'm honored. I'm honored. I can't believe that God would say in a season like this that, uh, that he would choose us to be your family and to be your friends. We love you guys. We will not stop praying for you. And again, we don't know what to do or how to do it, but I can tell you this, we're going to be here to do it with you. Yeah. Amen. 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 So uh, the 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 last announcement we're going to get into to the message that I have for you guys is, is just about our life groups. We decided to postpone for for uh, a season. The only life group that's going to be starting up this week will be our young adults. They're excited. They're fired up. They're going to be meeting. For the rest of us, just stay in prayer as we figure out how things are going to unfold and work, but uh, these will be kicking off again, and uh, hopefully relatively soon, but just stay in prayer and stay in fellowship, right? We don't need something on the calendar to, to love each other and to call each other and spend time with each other and to share a meal together. So just keep that in prayer, guys. Um, all right, so we're back in our, in our archetype series. Um, I'm excited about what I have to share with you. I just feel like, like uh, hopefully like every Sunday, God has something for you. If you think God has something for you, say amen. 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 Um, I want to jump right into it. Our our definition, as a reminder of, of what this archetype series is about. Webster says an archetype is the original pattern, a model of which all things of the same type are representations or copies of, right? So it's the OG, it's the original, and everything that comes after it is just a copy or a representation, right? The archetype is most commonly used to mean a perfect example of something. Right? So in this series, what we've declared is that Jesus is the archetype of humanity and that he's the original pattern, that he's the perfect example of what it means to be human, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a child, what it means to be uh, alive. Jesus is the archetype. Say amen. amen. So we've been looking at these 12 types or these 12 archetypes that uh, Carl Jung from the 1800s gave us and how Jesus encompasses them all. And how he shows us the heart and the core of them all right so we recognize ourselves in some of these we recognize others in some of these but jesus shows us what exactly it's supposed to be the heart of it the core of these people so this list of 12 is the sage or the wise man the innocent the explorer the ruler the hero the lover the jester or the joker um, and then the ones that we've covered already, the caregiver. In week one, we talked about Jesus as the caregiver. He comes to seek and to save that which is lost. He comes for the brokenhearted. He comes for the poor. He comes for the hungry. He comes for the sick. He says those who are healthy have no need of a physician. He's a caregiver. We also talked about that week how he allows himself to be cared for. He was anointed. He was fed. He was prayed for. He was blessed. And he says, hey, you guys got to figure out how to let me do those things in your life as well. Yes. Amen. We talked about him as the rebel. He rebelled against what everybody said. This is what the church is supposed to look like. This is what the church is supposed to do. This is how the church is supposed to operate. He says, if it's not what my father actually says, I rebel against that. And I don't care how people look at me. I don't care how people feel about that. He says, I know the father and I know what he wants. So he rebelled. But he did it in a way of honor, in a way of respect, in a way that can only be empowered by the spirit. And we were challenged, I hope, to say, how can we rebel against this world? How can we rebel against some things in the church that we may have just accepted as tradition, but we know it's not really of God? Rebel against those things. Live, God, live lives that are honoring unto God. Amen? Amen? Then we saw the creator. He created everything to draw attention to himself. Nothing exists that, that he didn't create. And that he loves when we, uh, when we find out why he made certain things and when it helps us to connect the dots to see him for who he is. And when we have these creative things inside of us, when we're inspired to want to do something, want to play something, want to uh, draw something, want to create something within a family, that that all comes from him. He's the archetype, right? We're following after his pattern. Then last week, we saw the magician, and we talked about how it's not smoke and mirrors with Jesus, that it's truly miracles, how he's bending and shaping and, and uh, uh, halting reality. I remember a few years ago, I don't know if I got a chance to preach it here, but I remember preaching somewhere else, and I said, uh, God will tilt the earth for your favor. Right? It's nothing for him to say, this is how it rotates, this is the axis it's on, but I love them, I'll just tilt it, I don't care, I'm in control of all of this stuff. Right? So he's the miracle worker, Right? he's the way maker. We saw that, that uh, when the world's looking for magic, um, they have no idea what they could find in, uh, in Jesus as the archetype of those things, right? And this morning, we're going to look at Jesus, the archetype of the orphan. The archetype of the orphan. Amen. This is James chapter 1, verse 22. He says, be doers of the word, right? If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the atmosphere that you've created. We thank you for, again, even this morning, showing us things that we think are impossible, but with you, all things are possible, Lord God. We ask that you would help us this morning to see you as another archetype, the archetype of the orphan, Lord God. You say that your pure and undefiled religion, Lord, is to visit those orphans and to care for those widows, Lord God, and to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word, to be those who in the midst of our extreme suffering would gather with the body and seek you and worship you still, Lord God. We ask that you would meet us here in this place, that you would give us revelation and understanding, Lord God. On a day when the rest of the world has dedicated to football, Lord, we're here to put you first this morning, Lord God. I ask that you would bless each and every one here in this place, that you would minister to each and every one here in this place, that you would reveal yourself just a little bit more to each and every one here in this place. We love you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Everybody say welcome. Welcome. Say welcome. Welcome. Amen. So this was uh, from our first trip to Kenya in 2009. Uh, So all those kids that you saw there are now young adults, right? Many of them are in their 20s now. Um, And several of them I still stay in touch with and and communicate with and have watched them uh, continue to grow up. We were there for a couple of days in Kenya when we first had our chance to go to, to this orphanage. It's called the Africa Hope Center. And as we walked in, they sat us down, all the kids, and then this is what we walked into. They came in, they sang these songs, they blessed us, they fed us. Um, they did all these different things uh, that were so, so special. Something that I, I, wish, I wish I could explain to you what it, what it really felt like when we were there. But uh, there was so much beauty in them and each of those kids lost both of their parents to HIV. Every single one of those kids, there's, there's typically about 100 of them in the orphanage at any given time, and they live there full-time, they're cared for physically, they're sent off to school, um, and then they're cared for spiritually. It's a Christian um, um, orphanage. So they go to church and they get Bible verses. You heard her, she said, we're gonna share memory verses with you. And they're poured into and they're sowed into. And then when they hit a certain age, um, after primary school, 16 to 18, they're kicked out. If they haven't been adopted, the the country won't allow them to stay in these orphanages. So they become uh, children of the streets. So since 2009, uh, <clears throat> The Way, your church, say my church. My church. Uh, we've given over $6,000 to the Africa Hope Center. Um, we stay involved in these. You can, you can clap if you want to. I think it's a big deal. When you tithe here, when you offer here, uh, you're storing up treasure in the kingdom of heaven. So we stay involved in the lives of these, of these young people. Uh, and we do that... Uh what what I like to say is we love uh the these there's people in this church you guys are the these you're this family you belong to this church um and we take care of you and we invest into you right and we sow into you but we also love the those you heard us mention sidewalk sanctuary that uh in 2 weeks we're going to go out just about a mile down the road and we're going to feed people who are hungry both physically and spiritually but we're also going to continue to care for people who are halfway across the world who are orphans who have these needs I think it's important uh, for us to remember that it ain't just us, guys, that there's suffering all over the world, and sometimes whether you know it or not, God's using you to deal with that suffering. So this morning, as we look at the archetype of the orphan, God just reminded me um, that we haven't forgot about them, um, that they're important, and there's so many causes uh, across the world that I think we could be involved in as a church and as individuals. So as we look to Jesus, I want you to keep that image in mind. I want you to keep those songs in mind. Um, Let's see what what the Lord has for us. There's three things we're going to look at this morning uh, in the archetype of the orphan. Number one is Jesus uh, is the archetype of the orphan. Number two, we're going to look at the family of God. And number three, we're going to look at an Old Testament orphan. So Jesus, the archetype of the orphan, the family of God, and an Old Testament orphan. So Jesus, the archetype of the orphan. How is Jesus the archetype of an orphan? Orphans are children without parents, right? So this one may be just a little bit more difficult, I think, maybe to see than some of the other ones that we've covered so far. But I want us to put on our spiritual glasses and see what God might want to show us this morning. This is Luke chapter 2, verse 36 says, now there was one, this is after Jesus was just born. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow, say widow. widow, of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple. She's living it out. But she served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord. And she spoke of Jesus to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I, your mother, sought you anxiously. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? This story starts with a widow and ends with an orphan. Jesus says, I am estranged and separated from my father. That makes him an orphan right? His, his mother comes and his father comes, like we would think, right? We see it normally. And he doesn't say, hey, mom, hey, dad, I was just doing some other things. He said, I have to be about my father's business. You're not my mother. You're not my father. I'm an orphan. I'm an orphan in this world. It made me think about an example that, that some of you might be able to recognize if you've been watching any of these Star Wars movies that have been coming out. The, the most recent main character, her name is Rey, and she's an orphan, just like Anakin Skywalker, who becomes Darth Vader. He became an orphan, right? A lot of good things about God you can learn in Star Wars. <laughs> so this, this young girl, uh, Rey, is constantly talking about her parents in every movie. And she says, they're coming back, they're coming back. She lives her life waiting for her parents to come back. She won't leave the city that her parents left her in because she just says, they're gonna come back and when they do, I need to be here. She's an orphan. She tries to please them with the way she lives, right? She works hard, she serves, right? Uh, She works as like a a technician and she's like, when they come back, they're gonna be so proud of me. My parents are coming back. At the end of the last film, the bad guy grabs a hold of her and he says, they ain't coming back. They don't love you. They abandoned you. Your reality doesn't exist. There's nobody out there who actually cares about you and is coming back for you. So this reminds me of this story that we see here this morning with Jesus, because he's also in a place that he knows his father or he believes his father is likely to come back to, right? So, so Ray is saying, I got to stay in this city. My father left me here. My mother left me here. If they come back, they're going to come here. And where do they find Jesus? They find him in the temple, the place where his heavenly father is likely to come, likely to visit. He says, I'm about my father's business. I'm waiting for him. He says, as the archetype of an orphan, he says, I'm living my life with caretakers, right? But my actual father is somewhere else. Look, those, those orphans at the Africa Hope Center, they have great caretakers who love them and sacrifice um, to, to care for them and take care of them and to live in that facility with them. But all those kids know that their actual father, their actual mother is not actually there. Right? Jesus says, look, Mary, you're an awesome caretaker. Joseph, you've been good to me. But you're just caretakers. Yeah. I'm an orphan. I know where my father is and he ain't here. He makes a simple statement to us here about what it's like to know you belong to another heavenly family, even though you're in relationship with a particular earthly family. It's like, I've been about my father's business. He teaches us even here that sometimes our earthly family is not the best. (laughs) Somebody say, amen. (laughs) You beat me to it. Sometimes our earthly family is not the best Sometimes our earthly family is not capable of leading us the way that we want to be led or need to be led or the way that our heavenly father would lead us it's just a reality some of us have like the best families and the greatest families and the best dads and the best moms and everything's perfect and others are like hey you know they did the best they could <laughs> Jesus is kind of saying that here he's like look You brought us back every year, and everything is great, and and you love me, You've, you've taken care of me, you took us to Egypt when we were running from people trying to kill us. But at the end of the day, like my heavenly father, I know he would want me to be here. I know he would lead me to this place. I have a heavenly father. But here I'm just an orphan with caretakers. I want to look at a couple other things Jesus said. Besides, I need to be about my father's business, so if we can see him as an orphan, maybe. He said this in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20. It says, Jesus said to him... Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. I'm an orphan, I'm homeless. Even foxes and birds have somewhere to go and somewhere to call home. Just like those kids, I'm telling you how how sad it has to be year after year. And even now, as we look at 2020 and the kids that are in that orphanage, uh, it's none of the ones who were there originally. And the other ones have gone to the streets. One of the young ladies that I stay in in communication with, I won't tell you her name, but I remember probably about five years ago uh, when she aged out and uh, she got involved in in a bad relationship with an older man, got pregnant, like everything began to fall apart in her life. Life of orphan. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Nowhere to call home in this place. John 18, 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. Jesus says, like Gary did earlier, I'm a foreigner here. I'm a foreigner. This is not my home. He's also the Son of God, which means not only am I a foreigner, and this isn't my home, but as the Son of God, I'm also an orphan. An orphan. Here in this place. The last two are Hebrews 7:1. It says, This Melchizedek, King of Salem, priest of the most high God, he met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings, and he blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother. Without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but he is made like the Son of God, he remains a priest continually. If you get a chance to go back and listen to our Hebrew study or find some other Hebrew study, you guys know I'm going to say it's my favorite, but Melchizedek is like my favorite character in all the Bible. He comes out of nowhere. He blesses Abraham. Abraham gives him his tithe. And then it says that Jesus is a priest forever. I'm going to read that scripture to you. Hebrews chapter 6, 19. You might know this scripture, um, but it's connected to this Melchizedek thing. Hebrews 6, 19 says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul. We sing a song. You're the anchor of my soul, right? Both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil where, well, behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So what does that mean? It means that, that our high priest, our Jesus, the son of man, it says he's a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, which means he has no father, he has no mother, he has no genealogy, he has no beginning, he has no end, he is an orphan. He's the archetype. He shows us a lot of things about what it means to be an orphan to not have a real place to call home, to be estranged from your actual father, to have a family that is not ultimately the family um, that God has called you to be in. So stay with me. Number one, Jesus is the archetype of the orphan. We see it a lot in the things that he had to say and a lot in the way that he lived his life. Number two, let's look at the family of God now. This is Romans chapter 11. Um, I'm going to read through the chapter, another one of my favorites. Romans 11, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people who he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they've killed your prophets, they've torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so, then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then it's no longer of works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. But if it's of works, it's no longer grace, otherwise work is no longer work. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it. And the rest were blinded, just as it's written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should see or that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their backs always. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. I'm going to stop there just for a second at verse 11. What you're hearing so far is people, Israelites, angry with Israel. And they're saying, we're supposed to be the children of God. We're supposed to be the family of God. And we don't serve you. And we don't love you. And we don't live for you. And we kill each other. And we kill the prophets. Like, Lord, just do away with us. Elijah says, I'm the last one left. But the scripture is saying... Is, is this the end? God says, no, I always have a remnant. My family still exists. There's still sons and daughters that belong to me out there. That's what he's talking to them about right now so far. And he says, and why did they stumble? Just so that they could fall? He says, no, this is about the Gentiles coming in. We get off of the Israelites and onto these Gentiles in verse 12. If the Israelites fall is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fullness be? For I speak to you Gentiles, and as much as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke you to jealousy, or excuse me, I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. When we talk about loving Israel, this is, oh, I love it so much. You got to have those spiritual glasses on still. What, what God is saying is like, Israel is my family. Israel are my children. These are my chosen ones. And when they stumble and when they suffer, it's not for no reason. It's so that you guys can see that gap open up and run into it. You're not Israelites. You're Africans and Mexicans <laughs> and white folks. You're not Jews. You're not Hebrews. They're stumbling so that you can see a door open and you run into it. And he says, and once you get in, don't boast against them. He says, you don't support them. They support you. You're the branch. They're the root. Don't ever say anything negative about Israel. Pray for Israel. Pray for the Jews. It's the family of God, okay? Let me see where I'm at. Help me, Jesus. Ray, you know where I'm at. Verse what? 19. 19, praise the Lord. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. That's well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off, and now you stand in faith. Do not be haughty, but be fearful. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God. On those who fell, it was severity. But toward you, it's goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, they'll be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and you were grafted in contrary to your nature and cultivated into an olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, And that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion. He'll turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, Israel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. We say this scripture to each other all the time. Don't give up, brother. The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Don't give up, sister. Your marriage is going to make it because the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. But what it's actually referring to is the promises of God to the family of God. Israelites and Gentiles. Verse 30 For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown to you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on us all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and his ways are past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to God, and it shall be repaid to him. For, if him? for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. You guys know I like to read the scriptures. But this Hebrew or excuse me, this uh, Romans chapter 11, I remember I came home like really, really excited about, uh came home from Israel and I, and I bought a t-shirt that had this on there about being grafted in. And what it means to be a Christian. I think it had a star on it and a fish on it and it was Romans 11 and grafted in and I just went to Israel so I'm like, oh, I got to see the other part of the family and I'm a Gentile and I'm part of the family and the shirt didn't fit. (laughs) And I had to give it to Ray. (laughs) And I've just been hurt ever since. (laughs) Family of God. Let's look beyond Jesus as the, orth- the earthly orphan, and let's focus on his heavenly father and how the family of God exists in this world and beyond this world. Right? Think about that for a second. We-, we started with Jesus. He is the architect of the orphan. He's an orphan in this world. But let's look beyond just him as an orphan. Let's look at what it means, his relationship with his heavenly father, and what the family of God is actually um, experiencing in this world and beyond this world. Romans 11 tells the story of Jews who are God's chosen people. They're God's children, his family. And then it tells the story of the church that God has chosen to adopt and make part of that family. If you ever want to tell somebody, well, what's the story? What's the story of the scriptures? It's the story of God saying, I I have chosen a people. It's Israelites. It's Jacob. Excuse me. it's, It's Abraham who has Jacob who becomes Israel. And he says, I've chosen them to go share who I am with the whole world that I can adopt a whole bunch of other people into this family. That's the story. We have to see this with with, uh, those spiritual glasses on that I talked about earlier. But God's story teaches us that every one of us is an orphan. We have parents who aren't really our parents. and a family that isn't really our family. And I don't want you to take that the wrong way this morning. But if you want to see the story for what it really is, what God says is that all of you are orphans. You have caretakers, and some of them are good, and some of them are not so good, but they're caretakers. You actually have a father and a family that is beyond this world. I'm trying to adopt you. I'm trying to call you into it. But imagine this. How How can you... How can you be adopted if you don't believe you're an orphan? Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. While Jesus was still talking to the multitudes, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, Jesus, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But Jesus answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Don't get mad at me this morning. (laughs) Look at what Jesus is talking about. He... The one thing about the kingdom of God is like you don't have to degrade one relationship to lift up another, right? I'm not telling you you're bad parents. I'm not telling you your kids don't belong to your parents. What I'm saying is Jesus is making it real clear, right? Hey, I've got these caretakers. I know who Mary is. I know what we've been through together. But at the end of the day, I have a different family. I have a father in heaven. My mother and my brothers are those who do the will of our father in heaven, not just those that I live with. We all as believers, if you're a believer this morning, we all have one father. We all as believers, if you're a believer here this morning, we come into the family of God through the work of the Holy Spirit. That's how it happens. Like the Holy Spirit does something that awakens our heart, awakens our soul. It says, I'm an orphan and I want to be with my father. It doesn't happen any other way. It looks a little bit different in your life and in my life and in their life. But it's always the same exact thing. The Holy Spirit begins to do something inside of us that says, you know what? You're an orphan. You are fatherless. Would you like to have a father? Would you like to know your father? Would you like to enter into a relationship with him? Every single believer is no longer an orphan. We sing a song called No Longer Slaves. We should probably write one that says no longer orphans. (laughs) If you're a believer, you're not an orphan anymore. So listen, God intends to save us. Somebody say amen. 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 But not just for the sake of salvation. Like that's not it, right? He doesn't say, oh, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. And and did you recognize you're an orphan? And you said, yes, I want a father. I give my life to you, Jesus. Forgive me of our sins. And then he says, all right, sweet. Good luck. (laughs) Actually, part of salvation is bringing us into a family and into a community and into relationships. Imagine being one of those orphans, the Africa Hope Center and getting the news that somebody wants to adopt you. There's a family out there that wants to to be called your parents, your mom and your dad. There's brothers and sisters out there that want to be your family and and they're ready to sign the paperwork and and they sign it and you see it come in, right? Look they signed, you, you are part of that family now, you belong to them, you've been saved. But then imagine if they just stay in the orphanage and never enter into the family, never enter into the community, never enter into an actual relationship with that new father and that new mother. And there's so many of us that look at the church that way. I'm saved, but I don't wanna enter into relationship and community and family. I got into an extremely heated argument with somebody yesterday I know, I know, that sounds strange for me, right? <clears throat> I'm so tired of arguing with people. I argue with the people I love. I argue with people I hate. I just, I'm arguing all the time. Lord, help me. But anyway, I got into an extremely heated argument with somebody yesterday because they were, uh, they're convinced, and they tried to convince me that relationships are optional. And I just couldn't take it. <laughs> told me all I need is my wife, all I need is my kids, and everything else can be taken or left behind. It's optional. Yeah. I, I told him, uh, <laughs> that's not what the scriptures teach us. And that's not how salvation is worked out in scripture. You can say that if you want to. And I know why you're saying it. You've been hurt. You've been damaged. You've been abandoned. You've given yourself, and then you have lost at the end of that. So I get it. But to, but to reshape and reform what Christianity is supposed to be, just because you've been hurt, I ain't got time for that. On Wednesday night, we were here for those that were in Bible study, and we talked about Jesus. And Jesus did what? He was able to be fully loved and fully embraced because he was also willing to be fully hated and fully humiliated. That's just part of the gig. Relationship is a requirement, it's not optional, but it's also a blessing. We look at it as, as somebody like, many of us have been in the place with the, where the person that I was arguing with yesterday has been. You're just sick of it. You're just tired of it. Yeah. You're tired of bad relationships. You're tired of bad people. You're tired of loving more than you receive love. Yeah. And I get that. But how about if we look at it as orphans and say, what we're actually saying is, I've been adopted into the family of God, but I'm not going to be with the family of God. Because they're not all perfect. Perfect. salvation is supposed to be worked out in relationships within a family and a community and it's called the body of believers and it's called the church it's not going to church on Sunday but becoming the church by the power of the Holy Spirit I could tell as I was talking to this person about it they were like basically like well I go to church I'm like that's not what we're talking about going to church is not being part of a family there are a lot of men who come home but they're not husbands. That's right. There are a lot of fathers who go to work but they're not fathers. Right? Just because you come to church doesn't mean you are part of the family, part of the body, engage in relationship. Read the scriptures, church. Jesus walked with 12. And he walked with a bunch of other women and he walked with multitudes it's not worked out in isolation between him and his father it's worked out in community with all of us Amen. Amen. we are made to be connected we have a triune god who reminds us that he's always in community yes he's never alone so the family of god we start as orphans Jesus is our archetype of what it means to be an orphan, to have a father who is at a distance, a father who is different than those who we are surrounded with here initially. And then we get grafted into this family of God because he's chosen a people and he's adopting people. And we enter into relationship. We enter into community. We wrestle with stuff together. We argue about stuff together. We fight with each other. Then we clean each other's wounds. the family of God last one I want to look at an Old Testament orphan her name is Esther (laughs) this is Esther chapter 2 it says after these things uh, well let me tell you what happened first Uh, the king is frustrated with his wife somebody say Lord help us Look at all the men trying not to get in trouble. (laughs) He's frustrated, he called her, she didn't answer, she didn't come, he's the king. He feels disrespected, he feels dishonored. He's like, man, I'm supposed to be the king, I told Vashti to come, she didn't come. And he's like, that's it, I'm done with her. And then chapter two happens. (laughs) After those things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus subsided, he remembered Vashti, he remembered the queen, and what she had done, and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's servants who attended him said, Let beautiful young virgins come, be sought for, the king. And let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom, that they may gather all the beautiful young virgins to Shushan, the citadel, into the women's quarters, under the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, custodian of the women. And let beauty preparations be given them. Then let the young woman who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti, This thing pleased the king, and he did so. In Shushan, the citadel there, was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. This ain't no orphan, he knows his family, right? Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captives who had been captured when Jeconiah, king of Judah, who Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And Mordecai brought up Hadassah, that is esther his uncle's daughter for she had neither father nor mother the young woman was lovely and beautiful when her father and mother died mordecai took her as his own daughter she's an orphan so it was when the king's command and decree were heard and when many young women were gathered in shushan the citadel under the custody of Haggai, that esther also was taken to the king's palace into the care of Haggai, the custodian of the women Now the young woman pleased him and she obtained his favor, so he readily gave beauty preparations to her besides her regular allowance. Then seven choice maidservants were provided for her from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maidservants to the best place in the house of the women. Esther had not revealed her people or family, for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. And every day Mordecai paced in front of the court of the women's quarters to learn Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. Each young woman's turn came to go into King Ahasuerus after she had completed 12 months preparation according to the regulations for the women. For thus were the days of their preparation apportioned, six months with oil of myrrh and six months with perfumes and preparations for beautifying women. Thus prepared each young woman went to the king and she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the women's quarters to the king's palace. In the evening she went and in the morning she returned to the second house of the women to the custody of Shazgaz, the king's eunuch, who kept the concubines. She would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her and called for her by name. Now when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of abihel the uncle of mordecai who had taken her as as his daughter to go into the king she requested nothing but what hagiai the king's eunuch the custodian of the women had advised her esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her so esther was taken to king ahasuerus into his royal palace in the tenth month which is the month of tebeth in the seventh year of his reign the king loved esther more than all the other women And she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king made a great feast, the feast of Esther, for all his officials and servants, and he proclaimed a holiday in the provinces, and he gave gifts according to generosity of a king. When virgins were gathered together a second time, Mordecai sat within the king's gate. Now Esther had not revealed her family and her people just as Mordecai had charged her, for Esther obeyed the command of Mordecai as when she was brought up by him. In those days... While Mordecai sat within the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Big Than and Teresh, doorkeepers, became furious and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So the matter became known to Mordecai, who told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king of Mordecai's name. And when an inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed, and both were hanged on a gallows, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. It's a good chapter. A lot of stuff going on here with Esther. So many ways to look at uh, and learn from the story of Esther. But this morning, I wanna draw our attention just to her orphanhood. If you get a chance and, and you haven't done it, read through, read through Esther, learn, learn more about her. But let's just try as we, as we finish up here to focus on her orphanhood and why it's important. Esther lost her parents and she was adopted by her uncle. And for a time, he was her family, right? Like, that's how the story basically starts, right? We don't know a lot about her, her uh, really young uh, life. We just know that she lost both of her parents, that they were dead. She gets adopted, and now she has a new family. Say, new family. New family. And it's her uncle, right? And he's now her, her caretaker. Then Esther is taken from her family, taken from her uncle, and she becomes part of the family that was holding the children of God as slaves and prisoners. Say, New family. Things ain't so good for Esther, right? She had a family. Then she becomes an orphan. She loses her mom and dad. She gets a new family, which is her uncle. She's orphaned again. Then she's taken from her uncle. People come into her home and say, you look beautiful. We're going to take you, and now you get another new family. New family after new family after new family. Orphanhood after orphanhood after orphanhood. And this current family that she's adopted into or brought into is actually enslaving and imprisoning the children of God. Remember, number two this morning was the family of God, the children of God. She's now part of a family that is oppressing and enslaving them. In this process of coming to the king of Babylon, she went through a season of preparation and beautification. She learned what it would mean to become part of the royal family, right? So every time you enter into a new family, precious ones here this morning, you have to know what it means to be part of that family. She goes through this season of of preparation and beautification and these, these men and these women that are already part of that family begin to tell her, this is how you need to smell if you're gonna be part of this family. This is how you need to talk, this is how you need to walk. Matter of fact, if if you're gonna have a chance to go before the head of this family, this is what you need to bring. This is how you need to speak to him when you get into his presence. There's this process of learning what it means to be part of the new family. And she's going through that. She learned about the kingdom culture. She learned about the likes and the dislikes of the king. She was told that at some point you're going to have to come face to face with the king and he's going to evaluate you. Man, there's so many parallels, aren't there? Young lady, be prepared for what it means to be part of this family, to come before the king. And when you do come before him, he is going to look intently upon you and he is going to evaluate you. So when her time came, she was chosen, right, by this king. It says that the king loved her more than anybody else. She didn't just get to become part of this new family officially. He says, I don't want you to just be part. You're going to be the queen. You are the bride of the king. You're getting the top spot. No woman higher than you within this family. I think there's somewhere else that talks about being a bride, becoming a bride in the scriptures. Amen. So many things we can learn from this story about Esther and her orphanhood. I think it's an amazing reflection of what it means to be born into an earthly family and realize that you're actually an orphan. She was in an earthly family, orphaned, had another family, orphaned again. Now she's on her third family. <laughs> there may be uh, family and friends like Esther's uncle that come into our lives and care for us. But eventually, isn't it true that we all kind of become wards of the state. Here's what I mean. We all at some point go through what Esther went through. Esther became part of the family that was oppressing and persecuting God's family. I don't know about the rest of you, but I can remember when I was a part of that family that was oppressing and persecuting God's family. I had a family when I grew up and uh, there was a separation and, and destruction like many of us have experienced. And then I got a new family and they were called my friends. And like Esther, they taught me this is how you have to walk here. This is what it should smell like when we open the car doors here. <laughs> <laughs> this is what it means to be a part of this family, bond, right? And you have that family, just like Mordecai, the uncle, came in and he tried to lead her how he saw fit. But then she became part of the family of the world. And I remember after leaving that group of friends, uh, I entered into this realm of like, I'm just part of the world now. I feel like I'm my own person. I feel like I'm the authority of my own life. But the reality is I'm part of uh, like King Ahasuerus here, who enslaved and imprisoned and oppressed the children of God. Whether you know it or not, you become part of that family where you don't care about God, you're not thinking about God, you're not thinking about the family of God, and you actually oppress and talk down and talk bad about Christians. Esther's now a part of that family. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 9. Paul says, listen, I'm the least of the apostles. I am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Paul's saying, I was part of that family that persecuted the church. Esther was there. Paul was there. I have been there. And if you're saved today, I, I hate to admit, like, make you feel bad, but you were definitely a part of that. And those who are not saved, that's the family they belong to today. We love the story of Esther, but look at the family she's a part of at that point. So here's how we'll close. We all know that Esther was able to uh, do a miraculous work for the family of God and for, for God. But listen to the words that are actually said when it happens. I want you to think about Jesus, the uh, archetype of the orphan. I want you to think about the family of God, the Jews and the Gentiles, and us being grafted in together, and now this Old Testament orphan, and see if you can see all these pieces coming together. This is Esther chapter 4, verse 7. Mordecai told him told him all that had happened to him and the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews, to destroy the family of God. He also gave him a copy of the written decree for their destruction, which was given at Shushan, that he might show it to Esther and explain to her and that he might command her to go into the king to make supplication to him and plead before him for her people. So Hatchak returned and told Esther the words of Mordecai, Then Esther spoke to Hachak and gave him a command for Mordecai. All the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court of the king, who has not been called, he has but one law put all to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. So they told Mordecai Esther's words, and Mordecai told them to answer Esther. Hold on, before he does that. (laughs) The children of Israel are about to be murdered all over the place, all about to be killed. And Mordecai is now on the outside. He's the old family. She's with her new family. He says, go tell her that we're all about to die. She's got to tell the king, look, I've got it in writing, the plot to kill all of us. Tell her to go into the king and tell him to save us. And she says, listen. If you go in to see the king without being invited, you get killed. Everybody knows it. He hasn't called for me in 30 days. Remember he used to love me, and I was the most uh, beautiful, and he loved me more than anybody, and he put the crown on my head. Now look, when you belong to that family, you used to be everything to him. Now he hasn't even talked to you in 30 days. That's the family of the world. She says, he hasn't called me. <laughs> He's going to kill me. They tell, they tell Mordecai, and now he's ready to respond back to her. So they told Mordecai Esther's words, and Mordecai told them to answer Esther this Do not think in your heart that you will escape the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. You ain't special. <laughs> Don't we think Esther's special? But Mordecai's like, You ain't special. That ain't your real family, he says. Verse 14, for if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Mordecai is amazing right here. He says, look, God is going to take care of his family. I read it earlier, right? He says, listen, I always have a remnant. You think that it's all bad. There's some that still belong to me. Mordecai says, listen, Esther, God's going to take care of his family. If you don't do anything, God will do it for himself. But I'll tell you this, if you don't do anything, you and your family are going to perish. Deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. You know what she's saying? I've come to realize that I'm still an orphan. This is my third family, and I'm the queen in this family, but I'm still an orphan. I have a father who is not here in this place. I have a family that is not here in this place. Can you see the work of the Holy Spirit calling Esther out of her third adopted family and into her true family? Telling her you have a father in heaven? Telling her that you were created for something more than this? She says, I've been seeking a life and a family and a home and I've been seeking peace, but now if I perish, I perish. I love Esther. (laughs) I love her story because it's so um, relatable. I lost my mom and dad. I deserve good things. I've got a good uncle and now I've been taken from him. I deserve to be blessed. I deserve to be restored. And then we find ourselves in the world and sometimes in a place where it's like, yeah, I'm finally getting what I deserve. I got what I wanted. I got what I needed. She's the queen now. right? But she says, now that I'm here, I realize this isn't what I was looking for. This family doesn't fill the gaps that I thought would be filled. This queenhood and this king, this isn't the king that I was looking for. If I perish, I perish. This is how Jesus puts it in Matthew 16, 25. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. She's willing to die for the new family, the heavenly family, her father in heaven, recognizing that she's still an orphan. And Jesus says, that's where everybody has to come to when you realize that you're still an orphan and you're willing to die, to enter into a relationship with your heavenly father, you think you're gonna lose your life, but that's where you actually find it. She threw away everything and she asked the church to pray for her and to fast with her and to believe for her. And she said, I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna fast. And she was able to enter in. You'll have to read the rest of the story for yourself, but I'm so grateful that our king He doesn't come from a family of royalty. He doesn't come from a family of wealth. Our king comes from a teenage pregnancy and he comes as an orphan. What family is your family? Our king looks at his earthly mother and his earthly brothers and he says, who's my mother and who's my brother? Those who do the will of the father. That's my mother, that's my brother. There's a couple things I believe God does. Why don't we stand? There's nothing like getting both. (laughs) I look around this church and I see people serving with their kids. I see people serving with their spouses. I see people serving the Lord uh, with their parents. Um, I get that blessing of, of serving with my mother. There's nothing like getting both, but at the end of the day, God always requires us to make a decision on who's going to be first. Week after week, year after year, my personal testimony um, is I put this family first. I've got blood family. I've got people who need things. I've got friends. But who are my mother? Who are my brothers? Who are my sisters? I belong to the family of God. My commitments are to you guys. First, the Bible says do good to all but first to those who are of the household of God. We started with scriptures that say, don't be just doers of, or hearers of the word, be doers of the word. Don't just cry for the orphans, give for the orphans. (laughs) Don't just go to church, be the church. Don't be satisfied with elevation as part of the family of the world. Risk all of that to confirm that you're part of the family of God. Bow your heads with me. What is salvation? It's calling orphans into the family of God. Our archetype, the first, the original, the pattern that all of us follow says, I gotta be about my father's business. My kingdom's not of this world. <laughs> I'm here and I have caretakers, but I belong there. My father is there and he's calling me home. He's calling me home. I've gotta go back to the father. I've gotta go back to the father. He says to his disciples, if I go back to the father, I will not leave you orphans. I will come back for you. I will send the Holy Spirit. If there's any here this morning, and only you know if you're still a part of another kingdom, if you're still a part of the world, Jesus says the Holy Spirit is calling you home, not just to a a one moment or one second uh, experience or decision, but into a family, no longer a slave to sin, no longer an orphan, but you'll have a father in heaven. You'll have brothers and sisters. You'll have all these things that he has provided for you. He's opened a door that you can walk through this morning. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you don't feel like you're home yet, if you still feel like an orphan, if you don't feel like you have the loving relationship with the father that you've always longed for, it's available for you. You just have to Respond to God. You gotta be willing to risk everything though. Esther said, if I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. If I lose everything, it's worth it. This family didn't make good on the promises that it made to me. But there's one who always makes good on his promises. He promises to save you. He promises to love you. He promises that you'll always be the bride. He promises that there, a day will not go by where he doesn't call you into his presence. And he wants you right now, right here this morning. If that's you, don't wanna be an orphan anymore, would you raise your hand? Be welcomed into the family of God, experience salvation, be embraced by your loving father. I see you, I see you, he sees you. You know, in the scripture of Esther, it said that nobody could go into the king unless he, he called them by name. It's the same thing with the true heavenly father. Young man, he called you by name. It wasn't a group call. It wasn't a, a gathering of a bunch of people who were coming into his presence. He saw you, he called you, he called you by name. He wants you to be in his presence and now he calls you son. He calls you son. And you have all the blessings of being a son. Your father is rich beyond belief. Your father is merciful beyond belief. Your father is forgiving beyond belief. Your father is a miracle worker. The first, the prototype said, even if we die, we don't die, we live again. You have a father like none other. And we're so happy for you this morning. Is there any others this morning? Want to be adopted in? Raise your hand so I could see you. We're gonna move on, hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. The next thing I want to pray for, I ask you to respond to, is calling prodigal sons and daughters back home. The scripture said that how easy is it? If, if God can take Gentiles who are wild olive trees and graft them in, he says, what about the Jews who have gone astray? What about the sons who were, and the daughters who were already sons and already daughters, but they've gone astray, they've walked down the wrong path? He says, it's so easy for him to graft them back in because they always belong there. The same applies to you and I. If we're Christians, if we're believers, if we're sons and daughters, but we know in our heart we've begun to drift. We know in our heart that we've begun not to quite listen to him and love him and and respond to his commandments and and our hearts are, are maybe a little bit far from him. It's so easy for him to graft you back in. It's so easy for him to embrace you. When the prodigal son came back home, the prodigal began to take a couple of steps towards the father and the father went running to him and embraced him, he threw his robe on him and he said, I'm so happy you're back. It's not about shame, it's not about conviction in that sense of like you've been condemned, it's just saying, here in this place this morning, I know I'm a son, I know I'm a daughter and I've just been away too long and I wanna come home. I want to be embraced. I want to be hugged. I want the Lord to feed me again. (laughs) I want the smell of the King's house. I want the feel of what it means to be with my brothers and sisters and celebrating in the King's house. If that's you, would you raise your hand before we open the altars? You just want to come home. You know you're a little bit far from God. You know your heart may be a little bit far from God. Is there any in this place that's just a little bit far from God? I'll be the first to raise my hand. When I was arguing with with my brother in Christ yesterday, that's what I thought, Lord, I'm tired of arguing. I just wanna be home with you. You're the father, you take care of it. Is there anybody that would join me? I see one. Anybody else far from the Lord? Just a little bit, you wanna come home? Let's go home together. Anybody else? I see you. I see you. Thank you, Jesus. So we're gonna open the altars. If there's anything that ministered to you, if you responded for salvation, if you responded to come home, like the prodigal, you gotta take a step. I promise you that the Father will meet you. I promise you that he will embrace you, but you've gotta come towards the Father, and your Father will come towards you. Lord, would you bless your sons? Would you bless your daughters, Lord God? Would you remind us that, You're the prototype. You're the archetype. You were the first orphan. You showed us what it means to be orphans and be reunited with our Father, to come into the family of God, Lord. Remind us that we have brothers and sisters that have gone before us, Lord, from Israel all the way across the world, Lord Jesus, to sitting one seat away from us this very place this very morning, Lord God. It's an amazing family that we get to be a part of, Lord God. Would you help us as we come back to you, Lord? If our hearts have drifted and our minds have drifted, meet us here at this altar, Lord God. Remind us that you've called us by name. As we receive communion, Lord, your body broken for us, your blood shed for us, that's what makes all of this possible. It's not make-believe, it's not conjured up. You died on the cross, you rose three days later, Lord, to make the impossible possible. Have your way. We love you in Jesus' name. I was nowhere you came to my rescue. From the grave I've been raised. When I needed a savior to save me, Jesus, you made a way. I